At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to In Search Of. We're your host, Ashton. And Sam, we're two accountants who binge podcasts by day and TV by night. Keep listening to find what you've been in search of. Hey, Sam. Hey, Ashton. Okay, so our episode today is missing. So we've got... Two podcasts and a TV show. I've got um, a couple episodes from the Vanish podcast. You have a Crime Junkie episode. Right? Yeah, there's a, it's actually two episodes. Okay, so Crime Junkie. And then our show today is um, Dead to Me, which is got a little bit of missing in it, but we also just like really like that show. So I think that's kind of why we picked it. And we've wanted to use that. Like we wanted to like recommend the show for a while, but I don't think we've ever really like been able to find a theme Fit it or into anything yeah yeah and th- it's kind of a stretch for missing because it we it we thought about it for a while <laughs> yeah <laughs> search party would have been good to do for missing but we already did that one for that. which episode i don't even remember i don't know i don't know but anyways so dead to me is on netflix it's got christina applegate um who's the other girl I can't remember her name. Um, it's got a lot, like a, a couple of um, James Marsden. Mm-hmm. And her name is Linda Cardellini. Okay. And she was in, um, what was that show? Freaks and Geeks. Did you ever watch that? No, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. So, Dead to Me, I think there's two seasons on Netflix. And yeah, and I think the third is going to be the last one. Okay, okay. Oh, I forgot there's going to be a third. I really like this show. It's yeah, super me too. cute. Um, so, and I love like Christina Applegate's character. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically what happens is Christina Applegate's husband, I guess, is riding his bike. He gets, it's like a hit and run and he dies. And then they don't know who it is for a long time. And um. I can't remember her name in the show. I can't remember either names, but um, I think it's Jen and yeah. Well, so, so I guess Christina Applegate starts going to a like group for like morning or whatever. And that Jen girl's kind of like following her 
A yeah, little, so Christina like, Applegate is Jen, and then oh, okay. um, the other girl is Judy. Judy, okay, 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 yeah. So Judy's kind of, like, following her, I think, because she feels, like, really guilty, and she's a little, like, quirky. She's kind of- Yeah, Judy is the one who was driving, who hit yeah. Jen's husband. So they, like- meet each other she doesn't realize that she's like the woman who hit her husband and killed her but they like become friends and then i think she later learns that she is the one so you get to see like their relationship develop over time and judy kind of has her own like issues too like with her husband um which i guess is played by james marsden yeah so that's kind of like the first season like the first season is kind of all about their relationship and how they become friends and then you kind of get to learn more about judy and then i guess does it happen at the end of the season where they yeah i think so so james marsden comes over to jen's house and they he's like not a great guy and he's fighting with her and fighting with Judy. Mm-hmm. And I think Jen like hits him um, and like it kills him. Yeah. And, and he like um, falls into the pool. Yeah. And then I think the start of the second season is like, th- it picks up from that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, So he's kind of the one that is missing because they're yeah. trying to cover up mm-hmm. his death and, and like the like, cops are looking for him mm-hmm. and they like are kind of suspicious of Judy and Jen. Mm-hmm. Um, and they he's like in the freezer for a long time at Jen's house. And then he has a twin brother who shows up and then Jen and the twin brother kind of get into a relationship. Mm-hmm. And then I think ultimately at the end, like the cops kind of like help them cover it up. Right? Yeah, there's that woman detective um and because judy was like trying to drive her out to the place in the woods where she buried him and like they couldn't find it and for whatever i don't remember but they had some like deep conversation in the car mm-hmm. and um it was kind of like, like unrealistic her. Yeah. yeah it was a little yeah. unrealistic but I it's mean, a cute the whole show. show is but yeah it's cute it's really like i liked it it was a good mm-hmm. little show to watch but yeah i mean we definitely can't like give you the whole gist because it is two seasons but it's really good so give it a shot in the third season i can't remember when they said that's coming out but anyways so great recommendation um okay so we'll do our missing podcast and do i go first this time i can't remember i don't know it doesn't really matter no one's keeping count we, we need a steven to tell us yeah who went first last time um okay I I can go first. I don't really care. So this story, I was like, the story is just so crazy and it's literally unfolding like currently. But it's by the Vanish podcast, which I really love the Vanish podcast. Like I sometimes struggle with, you know, there's like the phenoma- phenomenon of like true crime. And sometimes I think to myself like, you know, why, why am I invested in true crime? And then you and I have like a true crime podcast and it's like, are, you know, are we, are we like doing this right? You know, cause sometimes you, you don't want to take 
these horrible stories that have happened to people in um I don't know my conscience sometimes I just uh, yeah, it's like I, we're exploiting like the these horrible things that have happened to people yeah so it's um it's it's I don't know I struggle so I always try to want to like be conscious of the family and the the real people involved but I really feel like the Vanish podcast is doing like the best work out there that they could be doing with a podcast so what it is is it's hosted by Marissa Jones and it's produced by Wondery and basically she just tells stories of people missing and she tries to focus on people who don't get the same recognition as like you know, you always hear the white girl, missing white girl syndrome. So she tries to cover stories of like men who are missing or people who have drug issues who, who have gone missing. Um, she, you know, will do people who are missing who aren't white, you know, like she tries to cover stories of people who just don't get the same respect from the police and the community. And I just, I think she does such an amazing job. And a lot of people have been found. And so it's great to see like the updates and because they're such a well-known podcast now, they have a lot of people who are like invested and help them and volunteer their time. So it's a, just a good um, all around thing that they're doing. So um, there's a couple episodes. There was the first like two parts of this story were aired on March 28th and 29th. And so like I had originally listened to the story like back then. And then I saw there was an update and I'm not, you know, I'll wait to tell you the update, but I just was like, my draw just dropped. So the story is about two or actually three missing women. It is about Teresa Kennedy and Bethany Tyner. So Teresa Kennedy is Bethany's mom. And then another woman who went missing with them is named Rachel Lewis. So the story is told by Teresa's older daughter, Catherine. So on January 19 or in January, 1997, Teresa, who was 28 at the time and Bethany, who was three vanished from Chickasaw, Oklahoma. And then, like I said, Rachel Lewis, who was a friend of uh, Teresa's also went missing and they have not been seen in 25 years. So Joe was, or Teresa was married to a man named Joe Tyner and they had two children together. That was Catherine and Bethany. And then Catherine was raised by her father. Um, And as she grew older, she wanted to obviously know what happened to her mom and sister. So part one of the episode, um, they speak to uh, Joe's side of the family. So Catherine went to her dad's side of the family and spoke to her dad's sister's to try and understand what happened. So throughout the episode, Marissa interviews many of Joe's relatives. Um, so Joe and Teresa got married when they were teenagers in 1986. Joe was 17 and Teresa was 16 and she was still in high school, which is so crazy to think about. Um, Joe's sisters didn't really get to know Teresa that well, but from what they can remember, Teresa was quiet, friendly, and laid back. She never caused a scene or got upset. They thought she was a good mother. And Kathy remembers her mother this way as well. And Kathy doesn't remember her sister that well. Um, Joe's mom didn't like Teresa for several reasons. Uh, Joe was her favorite. So everything she did was to protect Joe. 
Um, Joe and Teresa got divorced in 1996. When they told Kathy or Catherine, they call her Kathy sometimes, so I'll go back and forth. But when they told Kathy they were separating, they gave Kathy the choice of who she wanted to live with. And they told her Bethany had to stay with her mom since she was still a baby. And Kathy thought, you know, she's like a kid at the time. She's like, okay, well, it'll only be fair if I stay with my dad. So she chose her dad. Um, and so for a while, the girls would like go back and forth and spend the weekend with their parents. Um, there was a really bad custody battle that followed the divorce. There was speculation that Teresa was a lesbian and she was in a relationship with Joe. And Joe was trying to get full custody because he claimed Teresa was an unfit mother because she was a lesbian. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But Joe's mom paid for the lawyers and pushed really hard for Joe to get full custody. Um, he ultimately was granted full custody, but it appears that this happened right before Teresa and Ban Bethany vanished. So um, right before they left, Teresa tried to schedule a visit with Kathy alone, but Joe and his mom wouldn't let that happen because they believed that she would try and take both the girls it's like they kind of had a feeling like, you know, things were getting messy. Um, and then that's what happened. Teresa and Bethany left. Um, Joe's sisters never understood why Teresa never brought anything up in court against Joe to try to keep the girls. But they think she just didn't have a lawyer. Um, she probably just got whoever like the court appointed. And then, you know, Joe's mom is like, helping and paying, like getting him the best lawyer. So it's like, she really didn't stand a chance. Um, Joe's sister said he was very manipulative before Joe's dad passed away. He left a letter saying Joe had manipulated them. Like, like talking about um, Joe's mom and dad all their life. And he was sorry. He was going to have to leave her to deal with him. They believe he held something over their heads and was able to get whatever he wanted money, you know, et cetera. They believe Rachel helped um, Teresa and Bethany escape. Joel's, uh, Joe's sisters were led to believe that she ran off with Rachel to have a relationship, but there's a lot more to that story. Um, so they kind of go, they try to like discover what they can on who Rachel is. So there's not really much about her, but this is what they do know. Teresa's, and like, this is where the story kind of gets a little crazy. Teresa's parents adopted all of their children, including Teresa, and they also adopted older children. So Rachel was actually adopted by Teresa's parents when she was 23 years old. So they were like sisters, but not really related. related yeah. yeah. And so the adoption was formally signed by a judge in November 1996. And that was like right before they all three would vanish. Um, Kathy has some memories of her own about Rachel. Kathy remembers a friend of her mom's coming to live with them, who was Rachel. She lived with Teresa, Joe, and the girls for a short time, and Kathy remembers her dad always hating Rachel. She always chalked it up as the woman who stole his wife, but Kathy thinks Rachel stood up to him and saw through him, and she didn't let him manipulate her. Rachel and Teresa developed a relationship, and then when Teresa and Joe got divorced, they pursued the relationship once Teresa got her own place. So they talk about like what Kathy remembers about her mom's disappearance. She says she remembers it was her dad's weekend to pick up Bethany for the girl and like for the girls to stay with their dad that weekend. 
They arrived to her mom's house and no one was home. There was no car. They peeked into the windows and all the furniture and everything was gone. The place was empty. Kathy has not received any communication or mail from her mom since she vanished. Um, There was a letter that was later found. So this letter was given to Teresa's mom. And once Teresa's mom passed away, it kind of came to the surface. Um, And I want to read that letter really quickly. So let me find it. Okay. So this letter was given to her mom before they vanished, but wasn't, you know, found until recently. So it says to whom it may concern in the event of my death or disability, I grant custody to, and ask the court give legal custody of my daughter, Bethany Maria or Tyner to my parents, Lee, Aaron Kennedy and Catherine. Um, I can't, I can't read the middle name, Catherine Kennedy, because Bethany has suffered serious and continuous abuse from her father, Joe Cecil Tyner Jr. And I fear for her life if her custody is given to him. And then it is signed by Teresa. And there's like two witnesses who also sign it. Um, And then one of them is Rachel Lewis. And um, the other is her other adopted brother, Steve. So... Yeah, a little suspicious, um, you know, to, to find that. But we'll, we'll come back to that letter later. So Kathy spoke with her mom's adopted sister, Regina, and asked what she can remember after her mom vanished. She says, uh, like, so Regina was just a child when, when Teresa and Bethany left. So, you know, it's, she tried to remember as much as she could. So she said after they vanished, they went to Washington, Washington, where Teresa's parents were living. Regina believes Teresa, Bethany and Rachel stayed at an an RV on the Kennedy's property. Regina was told Teresa left Joe because he was becoming more verbally and physically abusive to Teresa and Bethany. And he favored Kathy. So she believed Kathy would be safe with Joe. Regina was told that her mom had taken Teresa, Bethany, and Rachel to a bus stop, and the bus was supposed to take them to to a custody hearing, but they never showed up in court. Regina remembers Joe showing up to Teresa's parents' home. Kathy says she remembers, like, she, Kathy says she also remembers at this time that um, her dad was going to Washington to say he was supposed to meet Teresa and Bethany at a Starbucks to get Bethany, but they never showed up. So Joe showed up to the house with the police officer and Regina remembers a lot of yelling, but she can't remember what was said. Regina says she never saw Teresa, Rachel, or Bethany again after they left the bus. Regina wasn't aware of anyone in their family seeing them either. She said every few years, the U.S. Marshals would stop by to inquire about them. And then she also thinks her adopted brother, Steve, who was one of the witnesses on the letter, also vanished with him. Um, she thinks he left to join them. So he, I think he left like a month or so after they vanished. So um, Regina also thinks her parents helped Teresa and Bethany disappear after they learned that Joe was abusing them. So um, that is basically like part, like that's episode one. So in part two, they focus on uh, child abuse allegations against Joe and there were allegations that had come to light in the last few years so 
um, after speaking with Joe's family, they learned like this was not the first time he had been accused of engaging in sexual acts with a minor. The first allegations against Joe came out in 1990. He admitted to sexually assaulting his nieces. One of Joe's sisters says he told her back then when he admitted to doing it that she knew why. And she was like, I don't remember that. And then back in April, they had like a big fight. And he was like, I, he wanted to sit down with her and tell her the reason why he was like this. And her sister at the time said she didn't want to know, like, she felt like no matter the reason, there was still no excuse for like what he had done. And they think maybe he was trying to say he was molested by their dad. And maybe that's why he has like so much power over his parents and the reason for repeating these acts, which it is common for that, like um, a victim of abuse to continue it on. Yeah. Yeah. But again, no excuse. Um, There was a time when a counselor reported Joe and DHS investigated, but no charges were filed. They just told they just were told to stay away from Joe, which is like the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Um, one of his sisters said that instead of protecting the children, some of the members um, of their family made an effort to hide the truth and protect Joe. The sisters confronted their parents about it and told them what happened and that Joe had admitted it and they just like got mad at them. So just it was like a domino effect of all the worst things that could possibly happen. So recently they had been, um, or there had been new renewed allegations against Joe. So Catherine's stepsister. So Joe remarried and this was his wife's daughter told her, told Kathy that Joe had sexually assaulted her and had for like a long time. Catherine had no idea this is this had happened. She also didn't know about the prior abuse because her family never talked about it. So um, and Catherine says she never remembers Joe ever doing anything inappropriate with her. So once she learned what happened to her stepsister, she wrote a letter to her dad's family and basically said she wanted nothing to do with him. And she doesn't want to do like have anything to do with anyone in the family who's protected him. And this kind of got complicated because Joe's mom was a big part of that. And it, and that was hard for her because Joe's mom became a, um, a mother figure to Kathy after her mom disappeared. But, oh, hold on. Sorry. Jake is calling me. It scared the crap out of me. Um, and Joe's mom is now 93 and has dementia. So she like doesn't remember anything now. So it's kind of hard to like talk to her. So Catherine has not spoken to Joe or Kelly, which is Joe's wife since 2019 um as she got older her relationship with joe and kelly became more strained even like before she knew about the abuse kelly was emotionally abusive to Catherine like her whole life and she would tell Catherine how terrible her mother was and that it was wrong she was a lesbian and Catherine was like how can you say that about my mom when my mom like took her child and left because her child was being abused Mm -hmm. and your daughters were sexually abused and you're not doing anything to protect them. You know, like she was just like, how can you even say that? So after Catherine, um, after Catherine's letter came out, more victims came forward. So it was like 
the victims within their family. It's like it kind of stirred all this back up. Um, and Joe's wife, Kelly, never left him. She once called Joe's mom and said he's doing it again. Like the mom knew like what he was doing. Yeah. And all of that, like the only thing that happened was Joe's mom just told him to stop doing it. And oh. Kelly was yeah, like, that, I'm sure that worked. Yeah, really clearly well. it didn't work because he just continued to do it. And um, Kelly was like, I'll keep this a secret. Like, I'm not going to tell anybody. So she just like enabled his be- behavior. Um, so Catherine's stepsister filed charges in Fort Worth, Texas. And the cops were like, OK, we need medical records. And she struggled to get medical records because they moved so much. Mm. And the Fort Worth police like just didn't really do much. They just like made her feel like it was her job to prove it. Like they didn't even interview Joe. They just were not very helpful. Um, Catherine also mentioned that her dad always worked in a church growing up and that he was like a music director and like worship leader. And they always had to like move churches a lot. And so he would always blame it on the preacher, but like Joe's family thinks this needs to be investigated more because they're like, he may have been molesting children at church. Mm-hmm. So uh, the next thing they talk about is like, they're like, okay, why, why was Catherine treated differently? You know, wh- like, yeah. why was she favored and protected by her grandma? Because basically it seems like everyone was molested except Catherine, you know, like yeah, usually he- it's like one person is picked, but it's like the reverse happened. Like everyone, but one. Yeah. So she's like, the only thing I can come up with is like, because of her appearance. So she looks more like her father and grandmother and Bethany looked more like her mom who was in um, indigenous American and they Mm. were treated differently and they believe Joe was molesting Bethany. And like, that's why Teresa left with Bethany. Hmm. So, which is so stupid, but people are like, just crazy like that. So there finally was a win for the good guys. This past February, Joe was taken into custody by local police in Oklahoma. Authorities in Texas filed felony charges against Joe for indecency with a minor and other related sex offenses. He was extradited to Texas in March and remains in custody. He has not been convicted of any crime. Um, Catherine has a website called Find Beth and Mom and I really love the website because she shares her story. She has blog posts, photos, updates, and she, um, I don't know. It just, it's so raw and it's like, she's like basically our age. So it's just crazy to see her just like going through this and just putting it all out there. Um, I just like, I, I don't know. I appreciate it, I guess. Cause yeah, you like- try to imagine yourself creating a yeah. website be like find my sister and my mom yeah like, i mean it's literally crazy. called find beth and mom like dot yeah um so definitely if you're interested in more of the story like please go check out that website because it is so so um interesting and there's photos and it just really puts it all together so part three this is where things get like it's just so insane to me on May 10th, the Vanish po- posted to their Instagram that Teresa, Bethany, and Rachel will are, were all located. And, like, they're safe and they were found. So, literally, they've been, like, in hiding 
for 25 years. Um, They were located by federal agents and there was a press release posted to the um, vanished Instagram. Uh, So if you, I was going to read it, but it's actually kind of long. So if you want to go read that, like go check that out. On May 30th, The Vanished posted another episode with an update on the case. So Teresa was arrested um, once she was found, which really upset Catherine. But she was arrested because there was a warrant out for her arrest for kidnapping Bethany, like, back in 97. Because Joe was technically awarded custody of both girls, and then she left with Bethany. Um the Vanish, and like this is why the Vanish podcast is so great, is they helped Teresa get a lawyer and then she was released on bail. And Catherine, um, actually, and I like took this from Catherine's website, but she said she received a call from her mother. And this is like what she said. She said her voice was breathless and shaky and sounded like a long forgotten dream. Then my mom put my sister on the phone and she sounded exactly like me. And so it's just, it's so crazy that yeah after all those years they were found and they were able to be like you know not found for this long and it Mm -hmm. it's just like you don't usually have this happen and how oh sorry go ahead oh no go you're good how far from where they lived were they found they didn't say where they were found yeah um but Yeah, you just, a lot of times, like, there's just, like, not really a happy ending to these stories. Yeah. You know, and, like, Kathy for a long time thought, like, did my dad do, like, did my dad kill them? Kill them, yeah. That's got to be crazy to not have them for 25 years, and then all of a sudden, nope, they're there. Mm -hmm. And she felt, like, Kathy said she felt, like, kind of guilty because she was trying to find them, and they Mm -hmm. were found, and then her mom got arrested, and she was like, okay, well, like, is this my fault that like you know and and she Mm -hmm. talks about that in her post and um I don't know it was just it was so insane to like see this kind of like unfold like I originally listened to it in March and then in May they posted the update and then as I was like typing these notes they posted like a another podcast update so it's a really really cool story that um you know was it's hard and long and what they all went through it's just insane but I like appreciate that it was like put out there because it's so cool to see it like unfold but yeah and it's awesome that they the vanished helped her get a lawyer Mm -hmm. Mm because it's like I was protecting myself and my child yeah yeah and you're gonna arrest me for that like I mean I get technically legally she kidnapped her kid but yes yeah but and it yeah. yeah so definitely go check it out but that is the case of Teresa Kennedy and Bethany Tyner so yeah that's cool that you got to do that like in real time like you thought you were done with yeah the story yeah. and then you were like hold on uh-huh. there's more yeah more to the story so and now a word from our sponsors what's the easiest choice you can make window instead of middle seat picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay, so my story also has two parts, although there is not like a resolution. She has not been found. But it is the story of Maura Murray and... when this came out, Ashley was doing the episode and she was like, I always said I would never do this story because it's been like overdone and overtold. So I don't know, maybe you've heard this before. I don't think I had when I listened to this for the first time, but um, it came out in 2018. So this takes place in February of 2004 when Maura was 21 years old. She was attending the University of Massachusetts and she had just transferred there from West Point University. She was like an all-American girl. She ran track and cross country and she was a nursing student. Um, And so she was working two jobs at the time, which were like her clinicals. So she had to travel a lot to get to them and her car was not in very good shape. So her dad, Fred, came down one weekend to go car shopping with her. And their plan was that that weekend they were going to shop and like pick out the car. And then the following weekend he was going to come back and they were actually going to buy it. So um, her dad was staying at a motel in town and um, they had gone out car shopping and they used his car. And so they went back to his motel and Fred stayed there and Mara took his car to go out to a party. And on her way to bring it back to the hotel, she got in a single car accident um, and it cost like $10,000 in damage to her dad's car. So it was pretty bad, but like it was only her, like no one got hurt. So Fred left the next morning with a plan of coming back the next weekend. So after this, we know from Maura's computer history that she spent the day looking up rental properties in New Hampshire and she got directions to Burlington, Vermont. And this didn't really make sense because classes were just starting um, at school. And so like, why would she be planning a trip to leave when school's about to start? So on February 9th, she calls a rental place in Vermont and then she calls her boyfriend Basically, she leaves um, a message with her boyfriend and just says, like, love you, I'll call you back later. 
Then she calls 1-800-GO-STOW, which is like a hotel slash rental listing number in Vermont. Um, there was no answer on the other line, so she was just able to listen to a pre-recorded message. And then she calls her boyfriend again, says she loves him. That's it. Then she sends an email to per, to her professors and says, there's been a death in my family and I will be out for the next week, which was not the case. No one in her family had died. And why was she leaving when school was about to start? Um, and it was not like her to lie, but um, no one really has the, you know, no one knows what she was thinking. So at 3.30 p.m., she leaves campus in her rundown car that she's like about to replace. She takes out almost all of the money in her bank account. And then she goes to a liquor store and buys like a lot of alcohol, like way more than a single person would be buying. So the idea based on this is like, is she going to meet someone like in Vermont? Um, is there someone else who's traveling with her that like she's going to go pick up? Um surveillance video at the liquor store shows that she's alone. So at least at the time that she's leaving, she's by herself. So at 7.27 PM, Maura's car goes off of the road and it ends up facing like the wrong direction on a, on the road. So she's facing like oncoming traffic. And this happens in front of a woman named Faith Westman's house. And this is in New Hampshire. So she sees this happen out the window, and like a few minutes later, a bus driver named Butch Atwood drives by, and he stops and asks Mora if she's okay or needs any help. He said that she seemed shaken up, but she did not want him to call the police or for help. She told Butch that she already called AAA, but Butch knew that that was a lie because he traveled in that area often, and he knew there was zero cell service, so she wouldn't have been able to call anyone. So when he gets home, he decides to call 911. Um, at 7.46, the first officer arrives on the scene. It's about seven minutes after Butch spoke with Mora, and Mora is gone. There's no sign of anyone anywhere. There's only her car. So EMTs show up next, and they notice that there's a rag stuffed into the tailpipe of her car. And so they're like, okay, did she put it there did someone else do it and like wait for her car to stall out and then like kidnap her um police think that she walked away willingly and they don't go looking for her um which is like really common like people of that age police are like oh well they're adults they just wanted to get away and have no one know so they don't really take it very seriously so they don't tell Fred that she has gone missing until the next morning. They call him and he says something that he ends up regretting, but he says maybe Mora went into the woods to hurt herself because she was depressed. And that just further fuels the police's theory that she walked away willingly. She doesn't want to be found. And so they aren't, you know, um, they don't take it very like urgently. Um, so her boyfriend is traveling from what he was in West Point um, and he's traveling to kind of help look for her. And while he's traveling, he gets a call, um, but he doesn't answer. And the message he says on the other line is like a whimpering and he really thinks it's her that's calling, but there's no like words spoken. He just hears the noise. 
So dogs track her scent from her crash site to about a hundred feet up the road and it vanishes. So there's no like footprints going into the woods. So the idea is that like someone picked her up from that hundred feet point um, and left with her. And then whether that's someone she was planning on meeting or someone who like kidnapped her, we don't know. So that is all on like February 9th. February 5th, four days before she goes missing, Mora is at one of her on-campus jobs where she's checking student IDs. Her boss comes in and sees her in a, quote, catatonic state. So she's not, like, doing her job. She's not checking IDs. She's just, like, staring straight ahead, like, not blinking. People are passing by her. And so her boss approaches her, and all of a sudden she just breaks down crying, and all she can say is, my sister. Um, the, her boss says like, do you want to go to on campus, like counselors or someone you can talk to? And Maura says that she'll talk to her roommate, but she doesn't have a roommate. Um, Maura did talk to her sister earlier in that day, but her sister says that it was like a normal conversation, nothing that should have made her upset. Um, eventually a witness comes forward and says that she saw a woman on the 9th of February who looked like Mora at a gas station with an older man. She said when she looked at the girl, she mouthed, help me, but the two left before she could get any additional info. She didn't see the car, didn't know anything about the two. So that's where the first episode leaves off. That's like part one. So the second episode is like, it kind of, it doesn't like start over, but it, it goes back in time and gives like a fuller picture of Mora and like where she was like mentally and what was going on in her life before she disappeared. So we knew that Mora transferred from the University of Massachusetts from West Point. And it turns out that the reason was because she had been shopping at Fort Knox and tried to steal some things and got caught. So I mean, you're at like West Point and you try to steal like that is not a good idea. And like she could afford the things that she was buying. So why she tried to shoplift it doesn't really make sense. So instead of getting expelled, she transferred. Then at University of Massachusetts, she used a stolen credit card to order pizza. Um, and I don't know like the specifics, but um, – Ashley points out that she ordered like a lot of pizza from Domino's, like more than seems reasonable for one person. Um, and it turns out that Mora struggled with bulimia. So that, that could have been part of that. Um, some more information about the night that she was like catatonic and had a breakdown with her boss. Um, on that same night, a man um, on campus was struck in a hit and run and was in a coma and the driver has never been identified. So they think maybe she was upset about that. Like she was the one who hit him. Um, and obviously just didn't want to admit to it. So maybe she was fearing going to prison because she was already on probation, but they kind of, backtrack on that and don't think that's actually the case because Maura's sister Kathleen, who she talked to that day, eventually says that the real conversation she had with her sister was um, about the fact that Kathleen had just come out of a rehab center and basically went straight to a liquor store. And so she was kind of like relapsing. And so Maura was upset about that. Um, also, Maura um, had a boyfriend. His name was Billy. Um but Billy had been cheating on her 
when she left her dorm room on the ninth, her room was all packed up. Um, it, there were like, everything was in boxes and she printed out an email that was either to or from Billy and put it on top of a box and it points to trouble in the relationship. I don't know what the text of that email was, but apparently like was not great. Um, for the relationship between them and also the fact that her boxes were all packed up they were like okay like classes were about to, to start so maybe she hadn't like unpacked she had just moved back in just hadn't unpacked or was she like packing everything up planning on like leaving don't know so um Billy had been cheating on her, but she was also cheating on Billy, not at the time of her disappearance, but um, earlier. So a rocky relationship. Um, but she, Maura had turned in homework right before she left and she brought her textbooks with her. So, I mean, if you were planning on like never coming back, like why would you, why would you do that? So they think that she was planning on returning. Um. There were three different accounts for what alcohol she had with her, um, one for from her family, one from city police, and one from state police. And wine coolers had been found in her car, and they were not bought at that first liquor store that she went to alone because surveillance shows everything she bought. So um, there was like an hour that was unaccounted for between like the time that she was at this liquor store and the time that she crashed. Um, so like, did she make another stop at a different liquor store? Was there someone else like in her car when she crashed and like they had supplied the extra alcohol? Um, the, a woman at a grocery store says that Maura came in with two other girls and they bought the wine coolers. And this sighting was never confirmed, but it's what she says. Um, another kind of theory um, comes from a number from New Hampshire called her phone the afternoon that she crashed, like earlier before she left. Um, so like, was she trying to meet this person? They don't know who this number is, but, um, the, the main theory is they call it the tandem driver theory. So there are two options there. And one was that Maura was running away. Something, someone was helping her do it and was like driving along with her. And when her car crashed, she got in their car and they left or foul play where someone was trailing her or was planning on meeting her somewhere and took advantage of her when she crashed. Um, there was also kind of like a, not like a myth, but there's a theory called the Loon Mountain Three. Um, there were three young men who would have passed her accident site and never showed up for work the next day. And they were like known to be like not great guys, but there's n nothing really supporting that. Um, the theory that I think is the most interesting and I think has the most possibility is the A-frame theory. So about a mile from her crash site, there was um, an A-frame house and the guy who was the brother of the owner of the house found a bloody knife in his brother's glove compartment in his car. So he brought that knife to Fred, Maura's dad, and a private in investigator, and they tried to send it along to the police, but the police didn't do anything with it. So eventually, the private investigator goes to the house with cadaver dogs. 
The house had new owners by then, but they do let the private investigator search and the dogs go crazy and they detect remains in like an upstairs closet of the house. So the PI takes a sample of the carpet, sends it to, to the police. Again, please don't do anything. So time passes and the carpet was replaced and like anything that could have been there was gone. 10 years later in 2016, the PI goes back and takes um, some wood chips that look like they had blood stains on them. Um, they run the chips, I guess. And um, one of the samples of blood was a male and the other one was unidentified. The police say that the chips were too degraded to test but the bigger problem is that the chain of custody would keep it from being used in court since the police didn't actually collect it like it kind of throws it out in like a trial um so that was 2016 and there's been like no update since in january of this year the fbi issued a national alert in her case and created a violent criminal apprehension profile which allows multiple law enforcement agencies to share information regarding her case but no one really has any so she's just been she like vanished in like the span of a couple of minutes it was like 7 minutes she's just gone that's crazy. Did they, so the alcohol in her car, mm-hmm. were they able to see like if any of it had been dr- like drank? Like, So she, I think her, they, yeah. I think some of the bottles had broken in the crash. Um, and I think there was like a beer bottle maybe in her console or something. Um, but they don't think that she was like super drunk. They okay. think she was like bringing it somewhere. Hmm. And not, like, drinking it while she was traveling. Okay. And what year did she go missing again? 2004. Okay, so early 2000s. That is – I think I do remember listening to that story. Yeah. It is so strange. Yeah, it's weird because it's like, what was she – I don't know. I mean, I guess you always wonder, like, what's – going on in their minds Mm -hmm. but like why did she decide like right at the beginning of school like why did she feel like she needed to leave Mm -hmm. especially when her dad was there yeah and he was like planning on coming back and she like brought her textbook so i don't know it's weird she definitely was depressed and it makes me Mm -hmm. Uh, also i wanted to ask the the thing that was stuffed like in her Mm -hmm. um i can't remember what you called that uh the tailpipe yeah yeah do people do that and like sit in their cars to commit suicide well so you have to be like in a garage for that to happen so you have to like get the fumes to like go back in you have to be able to like in a closed area like get start breathing in the fumes and i don't think that would make you breathe in the fumes but there was like an oxygen special on maura's case and they like rebuilt her car in like the state that it would have been in when she was driving Mm -hmm. um and i think so they were saying that like i think if you like stuff the tailpipe with the rag like it wouldn't stay in there very long like you wouldn't even be able to drive a mile without it falling out yeah um 
And they said maybe like her dad told her to do that. Like if they're, you know how like when fumes are like coming out of your car and they're like really dark and then the police pull you over because they're like, okay, you're, you, your emissions are so bad. You shouldn't be driving. Uh So they were like, maybe her dad told her at some point to do that. So like the police wouldn't stop her. Um, and she'd be able to like get further because her emissions wouldn't be like pouring out of her tailpipe. Um, so they're like, I don't know if that pipe or that rag is like a red herring and we're like focusing on it as like this significant thing Mm -hmm. or, if it was just like her trying to like get further down the road gotcha. because her car was about to break down. Okay. Um, but it is, it's interesting because if she couldn't have gotten very far with it in, it's like, when did she put it in or when did someone else put it in? Yeah. I don't know. And did she have her cell phone on her? Like, did they have cell phones? Um, yeah, they did. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't feel like they said anything about okay. her phone. Okay. Because they said, you know, she didn't like called somebody. Yeah, because Butch um, said, I'll call like triple or call 911 or something mm-hmm. if you need help. And she said, no, I called AAA. And he was like, you couldn't have called AAA. So maybe no maybe service. she did have a phone on her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and apparently that was like left in the car and she walked away, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. So if- like, I guess all of her belongings stayed in the car and she literally just like left. Yeah, because you would think yeah, her, they like, found purse. her textbooks. They found um, like her all wallet the and everything. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that stuff like that like baffles my mind. Like I just don't even know how to wrap my head around it. I know, and like that one, I remember telling you a long time ago because I was telling you to listen to this podcast, and the guys who were the hosts are like really boring, but that guy, yeah, their tone that kid who, um, yes, that guy. Yeah. He like, he was driving home from a party mm-hmm. and, um, he like crashed his car. Like it went into a ditch. And so he called his parents, mm-hmm. um, and he stayed on the phone with his parents the whole time. And his parents like got to where he said he was. And yeah, they um, like weren't that far from him. Yeah. They were not that far. And it was like a pat a, or a, not a path, but like a route that, and they were like flashing their lights at him or something. Yeah. And they were like, we're here. And he was like, no, you're not. I don't see you. And they were like, well, we don't see you either. And then, so then he starts to walk to where he thinks they are Mm -hmm. and he goes, oh shit. And that's it. And he's never been seen again. Yeah. That stuff. Oh my gosh. And like, as a family member, like I, like my brain would hurt because like, I feel like I would be like evaluating every single avenue. Like yeah, constantly. you would never stop thinking of like, okay, could this have happened? Could mm-hmm. it be this? Could he be here? Did mm-hmm. he go there? Like, yeah. They're probably just like mentally exhausted. Oh, yeah. Whew. Yeah, that's a crazy story. Crazy, crazy story. Okay, well, that's, I think, all we have. Yeah. The boys season three is out. If you are into it, have you started it yet? I did. I need to. You couldn't get into it. Yeah. I yeah. Need to try it again. Boys season three is out. I've been kind of watching Stranger Things slowly. I, I did watch Stranger Things. Um, I don't. I don't know. I think I maybe am just not into that like sci-fi kind of stuff mm-hmm. that it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's some things that I'm are watching out right the now. staircase still though. wait are you keeping up with that no i'm not okay because there's another there's like a second theory um because like the beginning plays out like okay 
this would have been what would have happened if he killed her. But mm-hmm. then there's like a second theory that just came, and I is wanted it to the ask you owl about theory? It. Yes. Oh my god, that's so stupid. That owl. You think theory. it's stupid? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to think. I mean, I do. I do. Like, I don't think that's what happened. Yeah. But I guess the way that they. Because they, like, play it out, like, if that's what had happened. Maybe I should watch and see. But I do remember hearing that theory the first time around when I watched mm-hmm. the Netflix documentary. And, um, yeah, stupid. But I thought it was stupid at the time. I don't know. Maybe yeah. I changed my mind. You know, yeah. I forgot to tell you, uh, I was listening to My Favorite Murder this past week. And they were talking about mm-hmm. that episode. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about the sex scene. Yes. It's like, I was like, me and Sam, like, didn't even acknowledge that. But yeah, it, it no, was. I just like gloss over that. But they were talking about how awful it was. I mean, it was bad, but it was like, I remember watching it and being like, they're what? actually doing this on TV right now. Yeah. And I asked no. Jake, I was like, did, like, the acting for that, like, was he really like doing that? And Jake was like, I mean, I'm sure. I was like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> I can never be an actor because no, no, no. But yeah, if you've seen it and you know what we're talking about, like we won't, we won't yeah, say it. If you know, you know. Dirty, but... But, oh my God. I forgot about, I was like, me and Sam didn't even acknowledge. And we probably just did the same thing. We probably just like glossed over it and was like, whatever, just like stay. Yeah, true. that's not what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. I'm like Tony Collette, girl, getting nasty, but whatever. I still love her, so yeah, that's okay. I forgive you, Tony. But okay, well, that's that's everything I've got. Okay, okay. <laughs> bye, Sam. Bye, Ashton. Thanks for listening to In Search Up. Don't forget to review, subscribe, and follow our podcast to stay up to date on the latest episodes. If you want more information on In Search Up, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.